Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Good morning, First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. Welcome to the Hudson Valley. Uh, my name is Griffith Perry, and I'll be reading the scripture for this morning. So our scripture reading today is from the book of Exodus, chapter 32, verses 1 through 14. Before we begin, please join me in a prayer for illumination. God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding, that, being taught by you in holy scripture, our hearts and minds may be open to know the things pertaining to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please open up to Exodus chapter 32, verses 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us, who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I have commanded them. They have cast themselves an image of a calf, and have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? whom you brought out, of the land, brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say, It was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, who you swore them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the Lord be with you, and thank God for the reading of Holy Scripture. So I want to tell you where we're going over the next five weeks between this Sunday and November 15th. We don't have the travel writer Rick Steves with us. Some of you know that name, but I do want you to join me on this travel, on this trip, on this journey 
with God's people in the wilderness through parts of Exodus and Deuteronomy and Joshua. And we'll do one reading from the Psalms. And we're calling this series Lessons from the Wilderness. And by reading these texts, not only do I want us to discover the conditions that the people lived under and the challenges that they faced, but I would hope that we would see ourselves in the story, we 21st century believers, and see ourselves as being on a journey, and that there are lessons that they were learning in the wilderness, and that there are lessons we too can learn in our wilderness journey. And the thing about the wilderness is that life in the wilderness is hard. It's unpredictable, it's disruptive, it's dangerous. When you're in a wilderness, your life feels tenuous and fragile and the way, before us seem uncertain, the way before us seems uncertain. But what I want us to hear as we journey in the wilderness is that God is in the wilderness with us. God is a present help in all of our troubles. And so life in the wilderness indeed can bring us closer to the living God. And boy, that would be so wonderful if we could experience that as we're journeying through this pandemic and all the trouble and the uncertainty that it brings for all of us. So I do want you to join us. And this is something we don't ask you to do very often, but I would ask you to send the link to our service to our friends. I believe even in the chat, you can send an invitation to friends that you have literally, as you're watching on Sunday, you can invite your friends to join you virtually for church. What do you think about that? We actually do that in our neighborhood. And we don't do it to everyone. I think some of the folks would maybe throw eggs on our house. But the neighbors that we do know and the neighbors that we're in touch with, we actually send them a link to our service. Now, how much they watch it, I don't know. But I just know that they will send us a text and say, hey, Ray, hey, Judith, thank you. So I want you to do that. Because, listen, many of us are struggling in our 21st century wilderness. We're wandering in the wilderness. And people need to be encouraged. People need help. So particularly for this series, I want you to, to invite your friends to join us in worship. So, so let's look at Exodus 32, uh, verses 1 through 14. And I don't know about you. I don't know where this text lands in your life. But in my world, I find this text to be scary and disturbing. And let me tell you why. Because here are the people of God who witnessed the power of God bringing Egypt and the Pharaoh to their knees. I mean, they, they had a front row seat to that. These are the same people. God redeemed them from slavery. God led them through the Red Sea and guided them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This same God fed them and defended them and cared for them like a nursing mother. This same God is the God who says, I want you to make a 40-day trip into the wilderness so that you can worship me. Now, try to put those two together. Maybe God could have said or should have said, I want you to take a 40-day trip and go to that beautiful building called First Presbyterian Church to worship me. But no, God said, I want you to worship me where? In the wilderness. And sometimes we think to ourselves, there's no way I can worship God in the wilderness. I've got to wait till I'm out of the wilderness to worship God when in fact God wants them to worship him right where they are. And they're standing at the foot of Mount Sinai where they witness 
the voice of God, they hear the voice of God, they see the thunder, the rumblings, the cloud, signifying that the Shekinah glory of God is on this mountain and Moses is on the mountain with God. And what is he doing? He's receiving the commandments. God is making a covenant with the people on Mount Sinai. And it, it really is a scary passage because while you have this faithful God who is tending his flock, you have this unfaithful people who are wandering from God. The holiness of God, the presence of God is right there. They can literally touch it. And by this time, 40 days and 40 nights on this mountain, and the people at the foot of the mountain are waiting on Moses to return. And it's at that moment where Moses is missing, but God is present that the Bible tells us that the people become restless and anxious. And if you read chapter 32 and verse one, I think you'll agree with me. It simply says, when the people saw that Moses was delayed in coming to them, coming down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron. Aaron is Moses' brother. And they said to him, come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this man, Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And that's not true. But that's the thing that happens to us when we are desperate, we're anxious, we can't wait any longer, we make up stories. I don't know what happened to Moses. Well, of course you know where Moses is. You know what he's doing. And I want this to serve as a wake-up call for all of us. Because we have, we have an option here when we read chapter 32. We could go in about three directions. We could talk about the idolatry. We could talk about what happens when people worship idols. We could talk about the failure of leadership. We could talk about the power of prayer as Moses interceded for the people. But I don't have all that time. So I'm going to choose one thing that I want to talk about. I want to talk about idolatry. This is a wake-up call for us this morning because idolatry can be active in our hearts even when we're gathered in the presence of God, when we're gathered in the church, in the gathering, the, the ecclesia, the gathering of God's people. And whenever we think that something is missing, whenever we think something is missing unless such and such is present, and that's what happens to a lot of us. We say, well, this isn't present in the service and this person isn't there, therefore I can't worship. I've heard people say to me, well, who's preaching on Sunday? Oh, I can't come. Pastor Henry isn't preaching. Pastor Ray isn't preaching. Pastor so and Amanda isn't preaching. And if my person is preaching, then I'm going to come to church. I'm telling you guys, that is a profound thing we're doing, a very dangerous thing. Because the most important thing we need to know, the most important one that we need to know is present is Almighty God who has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if God is missing, then the service can't happen. We've got to be careful we don't fall into this dependence on people. So they couldn't find Moses. They said Moses was missing. And what did they do? They went to Moses' brother and they prevailed upon him and they said, make us gods. Make gods for us, rather. And Aaron is the kind of leader that people love. You complain long enough and you, you, you beat the drum long enough to the kind of leader like Aaron and this kind of leader will give in to what you want. And uh, this is what Rabbi Friedman 
called, calls in his book the failure of nerve, that kind of quick fix kind of leadership. Idolatry, really, when you think about it, is a quick fix because instead of waiting on God, instead of embracing our humanity and just saying, wow, it's really hard to wait, but God help us to wait, instead of seeking God's help, what many of us do, including myself, we take a shortcut, we find a, fix, a quick fix, and we build a God that will satiate and satisfy our weaknesses. And what did Aaron do? Aaron caved in, and he took their earrings. And by the way, these were earrings that they got from the plunder of Egypt. They were to take all that gold and use it in the building of the tabernacle, but they took those, some of those earrings and the gold, gave it to Aaron. He put it in a mold, designed for them a god in the shape of a golden calf. And I want you to think about that because this worship of an idol, the worship of a bull, the worship of a, of a, of a calf, a cow, it was already common in many, many cultures. And in Egypt, where the Hebrews had recently come from, the apis bull, the apis bull, A-P-I-S bull, was a comparable object of worship, which some believe that the Hebrews were reviving in the wilderness. And so I made a note to myself in, my, in the margin of my Bible, physically they left Egypt, but spiritually, psychologically, and culturally, Egypt was still in their minds and in their hearts. They hadn't been set free fully as yet. You know, in Romans chapter 1, I think Paul does a wonderful job for us. He summarizes the history of the entire human race in one sentence. And it's in Romans chapter 1 and verse 25. They worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. I think that describes all of us. That is the challenge before all of us. Every human being has to live for something, is living for something. N.T. Wright offers some very, very helpful uh, suggestions from, from his book, Surprised by Joy, where he writes, he writes that um, one of the primary laws of human life is that you become like what you worship. What's more, you reflect what you worship, not only to the object itself, but also outward to the world around you. And if you think about it, those who worship money, what happens to them? They increasingly define themselves in terms of money, and they increasingly treat people as creditors and debtors and partners or customers rather than as human beings. Think about those who worship sex, who define themselves by sex. What do they do? They define themselves in terms of it and increasingly treat other people as objects, as potential sex, sex objects or potential sex partners, and their preferences and their practices and their histories, it's all defined by sex. And then there's those who define and worship power. They define themselves in terms of it and they treat other people either as collaborators, as competitors, as pawns, these and many forms of idolatry combine in a thousand different ways. All of them, what does, what does idolatry do? It damages the image-bearing quality of Almighty God within every single one of us. And that's what these people were doing. They no longer looked to God. They said, 
make a God for us, a God that we can worship. And it's interesting that they're worshiping the golden calf at the same time that Moses is receiving the most famous moral code in all of human history, and that is the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And it's interesting that the very first commandment says, I am the Lord your God who brought you. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And here they were saying, make us a God. Aaron made them the calf and, and said, Aaron said, well, look, here is the God who delivered you from Egypt. And what did they do? They offered sacrifices and they worshiped. Which leads to the other question. What do you mean by other gods, Pastor Ray? The answer, the answer is in Exodus 20 and verse four. What I mean by other gods, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. Listen to this, guys. Anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. Now, given the range of that definition, that could include anything in the world. Most people know that you can make God out of money. I've pointed that out already. Most people know that they can make a God out of sex. I've pointed that out already. However, you need to go even bigger than that. Anything in life can serve as an idol, as a God alternative, as a pseudo God. Anything can be an idol and everything has been an idol to someone somewhere at some time. And so if we look to some created thing to give us the meaning of hope and happiness that only God himself can bring, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. So let me pause right now and ask you to think with me about the definition of an idol. What is an idol? And these words that I share with you come directly from Tim Keller's book on counterfeit gods. He says in his book, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you only what God can give. I think that's a pretty comprehensive view of what an idol is. An idol is anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. And I think about what happened back in the 2008-2009 collapse of our economy. And you think of the numbers and numbers of people who jumped from high rises, who took poison, who slashed their wrist, who shot themselves, who committed suicide, because the most important thing that they were depending on and looking to had failed them and they thought that their life was over. Their life wasn't worth living. An idol, my brothers and sisters, has such a controlling position in your heart that you spend most of your passion, most of your energy, most of your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. That's when you know you have an idol. Now, I'm going to meddle a little bit and let you know that an idol can be your family. An idol can be your children. 
I know that sounds strange, doesn't it? But it can be. It can be your career, making money, achievement, critical acclaim, saving face and social standing. An idol can be a romantic relationship. An idol can be peer approval, competence and skill. And an idol can be this quest for secure and comfortable circumstances. An idol can be your beauty, your body, your brains, great political or social cause, a political figure. There he goes again. I hear some of you saying, Pastor Ray and that politics. But an idol can be a political figure and it can be a political party. And I think, and I'm going to say it again, that right now in all of our churches, we have turned politics into an idol and we spend more time tracking what's going on politically than we spend time with what God's doing in our lives and what God's calling us to do. And it's become something other than what God intends it to be. And so I really do believe politics is like a God for many Christians. We genuinely believe that was the problem of the children of Israel. They had put so much trust in Moses. They put little trust in God. Moses was missing. So they said, make us a God, they said, because it's this God who will deliver us. It is this God who will take us through the wilderness. And when I hear the fervor that people have around these human political candidates, we're really saying that if we can just get this person reelected or if we can get this person into the White House, I just know they're going to make America better. I just know they're going to save us. I just know they're going to deliver us. And so there is no need for the Almighty God as long as this candidate that we're putting all our eggs on, all of our hopes on, can restore America and fix America. And that, my friend, is a fallacy. We don't need God then if we can keep that treasured substitute for God. And when your meaning in life is fixed on someone else's life, now we used to call that codependency, but really it is idolatry. So is there hope? Is there hope? And of course there is hope. I mean, that's the good news of the gospel. That is the story of the whole Bible. You know, it's, the, it's, it's, it's an exodus. Will we worship God? Will we worship an idol? It's all the way through scripture. And then you get to the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. There is hope. If we can begin to realize that idols cannot simply be removed. And that's why we struggle with it. I struggle with it they must be replaced. What does John say? First John, love not the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. They need to be replaced with love for God. So if you only try to uproot them, they're gonna grow back. But they can be supplanted and they must be supplanted by God himself. Paul told the church in Colossae, Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Paul says that the things of this world are transient, but the things of God are eternal. So we replace idols by setting our affections in God. And when we say God, of course, I'm not 
talking about this general belief. I mean, over 80, 90% of Americans say, I believe in God. That's not what I'm talking about. The mere belief in the existence of God, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a soul that rests on God, a soul that depends on God, a soul that has a living encounter with God. I'm talking about that kind of belief in God, not this intellectual mind trip that says, I believe in God. That's how we supplant the idol. And the only way to turn ourselves from idols of our own making then is to turn back to the one, the living God, who revealed himself both at Mount Sinai and on the cross. This God is the only Lord that you will find who will help you to fulfill the call that he has on your life. And the beautiful thing about this God, and this is really the big part of the story, that even when you fail to put God first, God still forgives. And Moses in, Genesis 32, in, in Exodus 32 is the Christ figure. He stands between the, the faithlessness of the people before this faithful God, and God wanted to wipe them out and said, be done with them. And Moses interceded and God, here's the word, changed his mind, some translations say. And that's a whole other mystery. But my point is, even when we're not faithful, God is still faithful and God will deliver us and God will save us. So yes, there is hope. And maybe one of the places to begin, and I don't know if I'm speaking to someone here today, you've never really believed in God. You've never really given your life, your dreams, your hopes, your purpose, your ambitions over to God. You've never really settled the issue that I live and move and have my existence in God. And if you are one of those persons, I want you to begin today by surrendering your life and asking Jesus to become your Lord and Savior today. I'd love to talk with you about that. You can email me. You can email any of our staff, the other pastors on our staff. You could even put in the chat today. You could fill out that attendance card and say, I prayed to receive Jesus as my Savior today, and I need to talk to someone. And I'm telling you, we'll be in touch with you. So we'll continue these journey in the wilderness. Idolatry, one of the big lessons we need to learn that in the wilderness, God is still present. And even though it's hard, we're going to look to him and not to our, our quick fixes. We'll pick this up next week. God bless you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.